0: I explained it, human care is not health care, because what health care is is just sick care. It's like, you know, let's give you this or that for this ailment. But we're never taking the time to help an individual discover their purpose, you know, as I would like to think that doctor did, you know, not only in the ER by physically helping me survive to fulfill my purpose, but actually coming up in my time of convalescence and just before departing the hospital to reinforce what my purpose was. Hey, I heard you want to be a doctor. That's awesome. Let me show you what you had so you can understand it. I mean, that gave me a purpose. That gave me like, wow, I got to go be a real doctor. And I've recognized over the course of my career how important it is to personalize the care that I give to people. But that would never be possible without partnerships. And quite frankly, you can't really care for a human in a collective and a holistic way without having a partnership. It takes good nutrition. It takes a good environment. It takes dispelling all those social determinants of health and and addressing all those things. No individual doctor can do that. No individual nurse can do that. It takes a community. It takes business people. It takes you know. It takes politicians. It takes everybody to kind of come together to create these environments of. Uh, and space where people can thrive.
1: That's Dr. Hassan Teta, and I'm Brian Felchuk. This is Do A Day. You'll hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned. I'm your host, Brian Felchuk. I know we can all overcome and achieve because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey Day Doers, welcome back for another episode of the Do-A-Day podcast. My guest today is Dr. Hassan Teta. Dr. Teta has put out a book called The Art of Human Care that talks about his approach, his philosophy to this notion of caring for others. And I love two very particular words in the title, both art and human. And we get into why that word choice and why it matters and what the message really is it's informed by his experience growing up and then this moment where he contracted an illness that we'll get into and was basically left for dead, if not for friends finding him, bring him to the ER and a particular doctor being willing to dig in and figure out what was going on instead of just blowing off his case. And that experience, that interaction with that doctor started him on a very intentional path. He talks about three pillars that were started to be formed within him. Purpose, personalization, and partnership, the three Ps. We get into all of that. We talk about why suffering can be such a valuable source of wisdom for us in this life and what we get to do so that our impact lasts beyond that. So let's jump into picking up this message about the art of human care. With Dr. Hassan Teta. Dr. Hassan Teta, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Uh, Brian, thank you.
1: Um, I I haven't read your book yet, which I feel bad about because you sent it to me and I'd love to, to read it. I'm so backed up, but I do I fully intend to read it, and I know even though we're gonna talk about it today, there's still gonna be more to get out of it. But before we jump into your book, I do just give us, you know, give us a little bit of who you are today and what, what you do. Because you're still a practicing physician. Very much yeah, yeah
0: yeah, absolutely very much so, yeah, so uh I'm a husband, uh, I'm a father of two teenagers, and I happen to be a surgeon. My specialty is thoracic surgery, and I do uh, a lot of heart and lung transplant uh, surgery in particular
1: and that but so we had to reschedule because i I got a note that you know you were tied up with something, and then it was like, oh, he's doing a transplant, I was like, okay, yeah, that's definitely <laughs> worth rescheduling a podcast recording for. That's amazing. That's right. Work. We
0: were, yeah. It is amazing work. It's very fulfilling, super gratifying, hard work, but always yeah. very fulfilling when we think back on, you know, what difference we're making in someone's life. Uh, and in this case, that 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 case that required us to reschedule was actually a heart transplant. So it, it was incredible. a good day for someone. Uh, you know, not so good day for podcasts, but we had to reschedule and we still made it happen. <laughs> so it's okay
1: the day that a podcast host cares about that versus someone getting a heart transplant. There's something wrong with that show. My, my grandfather, my mother's father was a cardiothoracic surgeon uh, um, in New York city. I mean, way back, he passed away decades ago, but um, yeah, so it's, it's in my blood to be good with this, but that's amazing work.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a great club to be in. And, and we do get to do some really awesome stuff and, and help a lot of people. So it's, a, it's been a great, great career so far.
1: And you, you've had quite a few experiences that, I mean, as amazing as that sounds like the, that's kind of your career. You were, sorry, you were, um, you were a, a physician in the military as well, weren't you?
0: I am. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, actually. Uh, so Navy, Navy surgeon uh, had a few opportunities to deploy and, uh, and take care of uh, Marines and sailors and airmen and, and, uh, and, and soldiers. So it's been uh has been a great experience from that standpoint as well. Uh, I joined the Navy actually after medical school. So I've uh, <laughs> had a long uh, career of, uh, of kind of helping and serving and, uh, and, and have had opportunity to do some really unique things that because of my military experience. Uh, certainly traveling around the world, I've, I've been able to visit uh, over 54 countries, wow. which you know, yeah, many of those have been military related uh trips and and some of course were personal ones uh inspired by some of the places I visited as a as a, as part of my missions and and yeah, but yeah it's been uh it's been a, a really great uh great experience from that standpoint as well.
1: It certainly builds a ton of perspective getting to
0: see absolutely. the world. Absolutely and- <laughs> yes absolutely yeah and of course you know given our current uh situation in the world with the global pandemic that certainly has limited and restricted a lot of travel, uh, but I will say that traveling and uh, visiting other countries and, and uh, you know, having an opportunity, as you mentioned, to have a different perspective is definitely a, um, a worthwhile experience, uh, so I highly encourage anybody that, that yeah. that's, uh, <laughs> does have an interest in traveling and visiting other places to so certainly do it. It's one of those investments in time and resources that uh, you know, proves to be invaluable and has a high return on investment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if yeah. nothing else you come home appreciating what you have <laughs> in many ways
1: yeah i mean right back to that perspective point that you you see things in a different way when you see them how they are elsewhere absolutely um now that's uh i i totally agree with that and going around the the lake in the middle of epcot to go to all the different countries does not count
0: uh no not, not, not quite the same <laughs> not quite the same um
1: so i I do I do want to get into the book but most importantly about it is this experience that you had that leads into you know that is the story of it that is the message the insight that it's not just your world travels and your military service that informs your perspective on the world today and the message in your book so I can you take us through
0: kind of that story Oh um, sure yeah absolutely well Brian thanks for asking so the the book's title is The Art of Human Care The Art of Human Care and Throughout the book, I not only define and outline and, and highlight essentially what the art of human care is, but in many ways I tell the story of how the book and the philosophy of and basically the principles of the art of human care come into fruition and I begin by you know sharing a very ancient story, uh, one that uh, I had a personal experience and an opportunity to sort of uh, have a, a virtual experience, if you will, and a very visceral way of, of going back and uh, visiting uh, the ancient uh, birthplace of where Hippocrates is from, uh, this oh. island of Kos. It's would and, be
1: amazing as a doctor. Yeah, in Greece,
0: yeah. It's actually a very popular place for uh, medical conferences, uh, as, as it turns out. But while there, I recount the story that happened uh, over 2,000 years ago, and I begin the book by sharing the story, but then also highlighting the experience I had being at that very place where this story took place and then I bring uh, the reader and uh, the audience uh, into my world and begin pretty much from the beginning I'm the child of West African immigrant parents and you know very early on I had lots of aspirations to be many things one of them was actually to be an artist and uh, you know this is why the pivotal art of human care kind of comes into play. And I was very proud of my artwork. And in fact, I got accepted into a pretty prestigious high school called Art and Design High School in New York City. I had a portfolio, I, I did the the, uh, the sort of audition and had the drawer in, in sort of real time. And it was amazing. And I got in and I was so excited. And I you know, went to, to my you know, West African immigrant parent dad and said, hey, dad, I got into art school. I want to go there. And he was like, uh, no, you're not going to art school. You're not going to make a <laughs> as an artist. <laughs> but I also had the fortune of getting into an, uh, a science and engineering school called Brooklyn Technical High School. And At the time, you had to take an exam to get in. And, and he said, you're going to go to science and engineering school and you can become a doctor. And I said, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, you kind of do what your parents say back then. Uh, and uh, it's a different time now. I know because I have teenagers. It's a little bit different experience with them, yeah. on the parental side. But uh, yeah. So fast forward. I, I, uh, I kind of pursue this career in, in healthcare and, and wanting to be a doctor. And I'm, you know, kind of running full speed at that to that toward that aim and that goal. And then in my junior year of college, I." Uh, become ill. And it was pretty ironic how I became ill. I was actually visiting uh, down in uh, Baltimore uh, for a medical school application, uh, an interview for medical school. I was fortunate enough to be granted an early decision interview at Johns Hopkins. Uh, and I was just over the moon and just so excited and I went down there, and I had this interview, and I thought it was a great interview, and I was I came back to my small arts and science college in New York, and and uh, as a junior, I was looking forward to sort of having my senior year uh, be one of uh, of reflection and sort of, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, of a different experience not to have to worry about the medical school applications and all yeah. that, and the whole rigmarole, and so uh, about a week after that uh, visit, I became really sick. I had a fever, and stiff neck and all kinds of really aches and pains and visited my school infirmary and, and they uh, diagnosed me uh, inappropriately or incorrectly, I should say, but appropriately gave me what probably saved my life to some extent, or certainly uh, prolonged my, uh, my existence until I was able to get some more definitive care. But they said I had a stomach virus which is actually not what I had. And uh, I went back to my dorm room on a Friday afternoon, really sick and feeling worse by the hour. And uh, they gave me some penicillin tablets, which I took, uh, but couldn't keep down. And I was uh, you know, very nauseous and, and kind of couldn't keep anything uh, sort in yeah. my stomach. And fortunately, two of my fraternity brothers uh, at the time found me because they thought I was hiding out of doing some work for a social event that we were, we were planning that weekend. I, when they couldn't find me and I was not surfacing, and uh, you know this is well before cell phones and all those things, they came to my dorm room thinking that could be where I was, and fortunately we yeah. was able to make them wear in, inside and found me sort of almost unresponsive in bed and, 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 and um, took me to the hospital. Now, while I was at the hospital, you have to imagine the scene, and, and I, I always reflect on how fortunate I was that uh, the people in the hospital and those great folks that provided care at that time, uh, you know, really, you know, were objective about their assessment of what was going on. So you have, you know, two young, you know, burly looking college kids bringing in someone who's like a little unresponsive and out of it on a Friday evening in a college town. (laughs) What do you think that is? (laughs) What do you think that is? Exactly. And, and, you know, fortunately their insistence of like, he doesn't drink, he doesn't do anything. You got to care if something's wrong with him. Um, You know, they must have acted, I would think, pretty quickly. I was fairly out of it and don't really recall much of of anything at that time other than, you know, flashes of of folks kind of hovering over me at one point and and sort of trying to keep me awake. And and even another time when someone said, don't don't move, there's going to be a needle going into your back. And I was sort of like, okay. And And then... and then faintly uh, looking up again and seeing bright lights and thinking, you know, the end was, was <laughs> has, has come for me. Yeah. And then some folks with masks uh, hovering over me and saying, you have a really bad infection and um, you're, you're going you're to be in the hospital. And then I subsequently uh, spent uh, several weeks, as it turns out, in the hospital with a tube in every orifice of my body. And Brian drew that whole time. The only thing I could think of was, you know, not necessarily what was happening to me, but the fact that, you know, this is a huge inconvenience because I have to become a doctor. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but, you know, this this getting in the hospital and all these tubes in my body and not being able to talk and being in isolation. This is just a huge drag because. I need to get back home or back to my dorm room at the time and and get my, you know, my golden admission letter to Johns Hopkins. And I am truly convinced uh, even to this day that that is what kept me going, kept me alive. You know, I'm pretty sure, you know, uh, knowing what I know now about what I had and and what I did have was actually bacterial meningitis. I was
1: going to ask if it was meningitis when you said stiff neck.
0: Yeah. Bacterial meningitis. And so if anyone, you know, unfortunately ever comes in, in contact with that in terms of uh, you know impacting you directly or knowing a loved one or or having any experience with it you know that it is a lethal condition and yeah. quickly claims lives and in un- not uncommonly many college students and many you know adults and infants yeah. die routinely from that infection yearly and annually and so what saved me were a number of things one obviously I think divine intervention and and uh, sort of a purpose of, of having to stay around. And I truly believe that was the case, uh, you know, serendipity of having a misdiagnosis or incorrect diagnosis, but, you know, turns out something of, of the right treatment, albeit, you know, much, much lower dose than what I really actually needed. Yeah. And then that may have brought me enough time to have my fraternity brothers find me and then, you know, take me to the hospital and then again, have, you know, individuals there that just didn't dismiss this as some sort of intoxication or some other, you know, uh, situation, but, but actually said, Hey, maybe something is really wrong with them. And, and I will tell you that to put on your differential diagnosis, now that I am a physician and and know sort of what that process is, that's not, that's, that's not necessarily something that kind of comes top to mind when you, when you're confronted with someone in my condition, but fortunately the doctor there and the team there, you know, were astute enough to recognize that, hey, this could be something, you know, a bit more serious, like a meningitis, and let's do the appropriate diagnostic things. And let's take into account, not necessarily, you know, what the patient is telling us because he's unable to talk, but, you know, perhaps listen to his friends and his, his fraternity brothers at the time and, and, and try and piece together what may be causing this presentation, so it turns out, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm in the hospital, tube in every orifice, in the ICU, uh, not able to breathe on my own, uh, you know, catheter everywhere, <laughs> IVs, medications, all that stuff. And in my mind, thinking the whole time, oh, no, you know, I don't know what's going on here, but I got to get, you know, i to get out of here because yeah. I'm a doctor. And that really gave me this purpose, I believe, to kind of stay alive and, and, and um, you know, the will to keep going.
1: Can, can I ask you a question on this this purpose? Because originally, like it was your dad's idea, right? It wasn't, you didn't come up with that on your own. It was, you know, your father saying, no, son, you got to be something. Here are your choices. Right. But, it's, but somewhere along the way, you latched onto it.
0: Yes, yes, that's true. So yeah, you're right. So somewhere along the line, I did latch onto it because even though I was always interested in art, I was always also interested in science insofar mm-hmm. as, Science to me represented curiosity. So along with drawing. Yeah, exactly. So along with drawing and painting and and sculpting when I could and and you know at the time in my mind being this premier graffiti artist in New York City, I also was insatiably curious. So I would mix all kinds of things in the, in the, in the household in terms of (laughs) kind of chemicals that are probably, you know, fortunately didn't (laughs) blow up the place, but I was always curious to find out what, what is, what, what happened if I did this and I did that. And, and I I recognize, you know, throughout high school, uh, you know, I went to a really good high school and that they definitely nurtured that curiosity in me, Hmm. uh, that, um, Hey, there was there was something pretty cool about this science thing because you know you get to experiment with things and you get to you know do it in a more structured way, of course, unlike what I was doing. But <laughs> it was it was this opportunity to sort of explore and answer the questions that you know I had always had, and and it was also important because and what I think you know to to really get to the point of answering your question is. What science did for me was open this door of a way to explain things that seemed very um enigmatic or hard to explain. And so you could use science as a way to understand things. And I and 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 understanding and getting this understanding and insight is is the way to you know quelch curiosity. And so I found science as a vehicle to do that. And then when you combine that with the fact that, you know, being a doctor is pretty cool, at least, you know at any stage in your career when you think about you know the the good professions to go into and, and know also, knowing also that that's you know pleasing to your parents it, it was it was all sort of a culmination of, of things all kind of coming together yeah and and I why, feel like surgery
1: yeah. has has that aspect of art you know?
0: oh yes absolutely so i was going to say you know now at the time when i was sick in my bed i didn't realize or appreciate you know the vast amount of cure you know vast amount of creativity and the, the the artistry that actually goes into a specialty like surgery because i you know i had had no real basis at that time to really understand i'm first generation medical you know student and and physician in my family so i had no one really to give me that basis but then you know fast forward when i got into med school and i started to discover and understand the different specialties and and the domains in medicine i realized wow there's a really this, this great opportunity in, in surgery to really be artistic and to be creative about things and to connect the science with art. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I want to be clear that, you know, throughout the book, I talk about all of these elements kind of coming together. I should also mention for your audience, you know, if there, if there was any doubt or any kind of curiosity as to what happened and, and what happened when I got out of the hospital. Well, it turns out I didn't get accepted to Johns Hopkins after all. Oh, man. <laughs> so when I, what I found out was when I finally got out of the hospital, I had a, had a big fat rejection letter waiting for me, which is wow. good to know that I didn't know that that was the case because maybe I would have given up the fight. <laughs> so yeah. it's it probably good back then that they didn't have email and, and all of this other very fancy technology that would have given me the, the answer, you know, probably before I needed to know it.
1: Well, and talk but, about kicking a guy when he's down.
0: I know, right? Kicking a guy when he's down. But- you know there were so many, so many pivotal um, experiences that happened, uh, or experiences and 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 things that occurred during that that hospitalization and that time that really made an impression on me. As you can imagine, certainly as a physician as well. And and yeah. I'll highlight one in particular because I do reflect on it in the book, and it's something that I often speak of when I talk to my medical students and. And quite frankly, I I think it just is uh, something that's, you know, uh, in my psyche and it it impacts the way that I take care of my patients. So, you know, in my final days of being in the hospital, at this point, I had been transferred out of the ICU and I'm sort of convalescing on the uh, regular medical ward floor just days before going home, I get this visit. You know, I had many visitors, you know, friends and things like that by that point, but I had a visit from... A doctor, and it turns out it's the emergency room doctor that took care of me the night I had come in. Wow. Now, if you know, if you have been, you know, a- anywhere connected to you know the healthcare a- environment and, and understand the culture of our, <laughs> of our practice, you realize that that is a very, very rare thing, right? For an ER doctor that you know is seeing you know hundreds, if not thousands, of patients you know throughout the month or the year come up to actually see what happened to one of his patients yeah very rare thing so i take that you know and i I take that as a measure of you know the the kind of doctor that person was and also it again reinforces how fortunate I, i i do believe i was to to be you know the patient that came in when that person was was around because what he did was he came up to visit me, to you know, first, I guess, check in on me. And I I imagine, or at least I'd like to imagine, that he was probably checking in on me throughout my hospitalization. But this is the first time I, you know, had the presence of mind and was conscious enough to even understand what was happening. Yeah. But he came up and he what he had in his hand was this uh big textbook, and it's it was called Harrison's uh, you know, uh, textbook of medicine. And it's it's really like the Bible. It still is to this day of, of internal medicine. So it has like every condition that you can imagine that we've, you know, come across in our in our practice of, of healthcare care uh, and, and medicine in this book. And he came up and he said, hey, you know, I'm glad you're doing all right, you know, and kind of visited with me and said, you know, your friends told me you wanted to be a doctor. And uh, I just wanted to come up and, you know, share with you this this uh, this resource so you could see what you had and you can understand like, you know, what condition you had. And so he looked, you know, he and I look it up and it's bacterial meningitis and I start reading it. And, and I'm, and I'm just taken back by the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm reading about something that, you know, clearly should have killed me. (laughs) You know, I'm like, wow, I'm still alive and it, it it probably has not been or it was not you know immediately recognized at the time but certainly after that experience and reflecting back over the course of my career i still think about how impactful that very simple visit was and and i would also add that he punctuated and made it even more memorable because as he was departing from his visit and it wasn't very long i mean this was just a few minutes hey here's the book here's what your your condition was uh your friends told me you're gonna be a doctor. I'm glad you're, being, you're, you're, getting, you're getting better. And oh, by the way, uh, since you do wanna be a doctor, I have a little test for you. And that's what he said. He said, a little test. I said, oh, okay, a little test. And he said, yeah, let me, let me just give you this test. He said, well, what's, uh, what's two plus two? And I, I was like, this guy joking around. What is he what talking about? Uh, uh, it's four. He said, excellent. You're gonna be an amazing doctor. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's great. But, you know, that left an impression so clearly here. Like, I mean, Brian, we're talking over 20 some odd years. Yeah. I remember that. And I think to myself now, this may have been like just his routine practice. Maybe he just comes up and visits with his patients. And, yeah. you know, that's just the, the, the kind of bedside manner that he had. But think about the difference that that made in my world, right? There's no reason he had to come back and check in on me. There's no reason he had to, you know, come up and give me this little test. And and believe it or not, it probably, you know, made me feel once I got that rejection letter that the doctor told me I'm still going to be a doctor, so I'm not going to give up, you know. And And I'd like to think that all of those things certainly contributed to the kind of practitioner that I am today. And so, you know, when I did finally become a doctor... I can and will never forget how I felt as a patient, vulnerable, you know, in that unflattering gown with the <laughs> with the with the big uh, with the big draft from behind, and mm-hmm. you know, not able to do things, unclear or unsure what's happening, you know, because of the uh, because of the anxiety that's created from being, you know, sort of incapacitated in some way uh, and unsure of what the outcome was going to be. I I kind of put myself very empathetically into the shoes of my patients. And, and I try to do it all the time. Not always easy, I must say, but having had that experience so many years ago, still remembering it, and also remembering how just a few moments spent with a patient, like the doctor that spent a few moments with me, would make an, an incredible difference and impact on my life, you know, yeah. and, and actually carry me throughout my career in terms of having a, as we talked about, perspective, that that I think really is helpful when it comes to me addressing and taking care of the patients that I've been fortunate and honored to take care of over my my career yeah. understanding that you know there's a huge amount of anxiety and fear there there's an opportunity to to really connect with a patient and it doesn't take a lot of time to do that it could just be a few minutes just a, just a, just having a little thoughtful thing to say
1: yeah
0: a sense of humor goes a long way And uh, and just really caring and uh, and knowing that, you know, you never know and you can never appreciate or measure what impact you're going to have on a patient uh, in their time of need. And it doesn't have to be uh, a lot, you know, and and I recognize, you know, the the work that I do in transplant and and certainly as a heart and lung uh, surgeon. I mean that's a scary procedure. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm going to crack your chest open, stop your heart, and and fix something. And and, and at a I time you to, when you're
1: already all right, already yeah. a little nervous. Yeah.
0: And I want you to trust me with that. And and I think you know there's a way to convey all of that, and and hopefully do it in such a way that you ease the anxiety of a person and, and the patient that that it is putting all this trust in your in your hands. And yeah. I, I I don't uh, take at all for granted that enormous responsibility. And, and I try and use that opportunity as a way to connect and, and always reflect on, on what happened to me. Yeah. yeah. And my current practice in transplant, I have to say is, is a constant reminder of how impactful, how delicate and sometimes how unpredictable life can be because on, in, in transplant surgery, you know, we are always faced on either spectrum, if you will, on on this sort of, uh, uh, you know, the edge, the razor edge of life and death, because the donor that will be giving up the organs have usually suffered some kind of tragic end, you know, and yeah. it's never lost on me how, you know, many of these patients that do wind up becoming organ donors have left their home in that morning or a couple of days before this tragic event and thought everything was going to be fine. It was just going to be a regular day. Yeah. And and it turns out that, no, that was not the case. You know, a tragedy a tragedy befell them, A, a, a you know, a, a, a freak event, a freak accident, uh, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, uh, getting to a point where they take their own life potentially. But nonetheless, these are all very tragic experiences. And you yeah. reconcile that with this uh, almost a miracle on the other side, because from that you know death and that uh, donation of organs from from one individual, you have this uh, individual who's you know, suffering from heart failure, lung failure, and now they're they're going to get basically a new lease on life, and and it's uh, it's like an incredible uh, journey to kind of be in the middle of. If you think about you know the work we do in transplant, but again, it reinforces to me. Uh, this, this incredible perspective to, to have, you know, to never waste a day, never waste moments and, you know, try not to occupy yourself and your time with a lot of petty things because you never know what could happen to you. Uh, And, and uh, yeah. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been quite the uh, amazing experience.
1: (laughs) Do you, do you see any similarity with the military setting as well? Because that, I mean, it, 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 what you're painting this picture of like to give life, life has to have been taken. Mm. And in the military context, you know, you save someone, it's not in a vacuum. Like it might be, you know, like I've had like 14 orthopedic surgeries, like, you know, there's no, there's no terrible situation around it other than a guy is hobbling or something like that. Mm -hmm. You put yourself in the transplant situation, the military context where there is something serious going on there is you know there's loss of life all around it so it it seems like it's this more extreme um it's not just the pure like we just made things better there's a very profound context at play that you don't necessarily have in other spaces
0: oh yeah absolutely well you know we're talking about this current book the the art of human care so you know, needless to say, I think the experiences I've had, you know, will certainly engender the comment to be true. You could write a book because <laughs> I could write a book on what you're talking about. And for, and I did actually, when I came back from one of my deployments, I think I experienced, uh, you know, in, in, in technicolor and in, in a very visceral way, all the things that you're describing from a military kind of combat healthcare setting, because here I was taking care of individuals that had, uh, you know, succumbed to really devastating injuries. I mean, uh, blown up extremities and loss of limb and, and just hanging, clinging on to life. Uh, and again, that informed as well this sort of the art of human care principles, because, you know, I, I wrote a fiction at that time, but I, I related a story of a surgeon that, that went out, you know, to the Afghan desert. And uh, not only were they uh, pivotal in taking care of really uh, devastating injuries, but they themselves also came to a very you know uh, devastating injury, a near a near fatal injury, and then had to sort of recover from that. And I talked about that experience of of, of this individual recovering from it, very well informed by the journey that I witnessed firsthand uh, with my own patients and with several of my colleagues that that also. Um, you know, suffered from a great amount of stress and anxiety and, uh, and reconciled a post-traumatic disorder, if you will, to, to kind of come back to some normalcy. And some people unfortunately never did. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, a yet another, I think, experience and episode and event and, and period and time in my life where I, again, appreciated uh, so many things and I wanted to write about it because I, I recognized that there was a lot of wisdom to be shared from having those experiences and from, um, you know, witnessing this and then more importantly, reconciling some of those uh, very challenging, um, uh, events. Yeah. 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 So that was a, that was a, a book that I wrote and, and I, you know, certainly highlighted all of these things it, it was called gifts of the heart. <laughs> so that was, uh, Sorry. was, a, was a very, uh, therapeutic, uh, exercise actually, because it helped to, you know, be a cathartic agent uh for a number of things i was trying to reconcile in my mind and and the the whole experience writ large
1: can we talk about the title of the book for a minute i don't want to get off of the the um you know any of the the key takeaways but the art first of all art but the art of human care
0: right Um, yeah so yeah so it
1: feels like a very purposeful title to me
0: it is a very purposeful title it it took me Many years to write this book. I thought I would write it in you know just a pretty short time, and it turns out that this book has probably been and has been written uh, you know over the course of my entire life. And it is purposely called the art of human care, as opposed to the art of care or art of
1: health. medical care, yeah. medical
0: care. Right? It's human care because again, going back to that very ancient story that I begin with and relating you know my experience of being in that spot knowing how I felt as a patient and then, um, you know, talking about the, uh, you know, the, you know, the various vicissitudes of, 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 of events that I've, I've kind of experienced as a doctor, as a patient, as someone on the uh, side of, of witnessing, you know, the death uh, from organ donors and then the sort of celebration of life and miracle on the other side from recipients. I try and, you know, encapsulate all of those things. And there's a lot of things there to talk about. And at the end of the day, we're all taking care of humans and we're all humans. And I find that we have a lot more in common than we do in differences. And really, if you distill down to its basic core element, what it takes to be uh, someone that takes care of a human, you don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be an MD or a nurse. I mean, we're taking care of humans every day in our work. You know, what you're doing right now, you're taking care of humans because you're you're giving inspiration. You're helping people to, you know, put in perspective and reframe some of the maybe difficult challenges that they've had in their life. And you you're you inviting guests to come in and 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 do the same. And by that way, you're delivering in essence a, a, a human care. You know, you're you're caring for a fellow human. Yeah. So it it became clear to me that and, and I and I talk about this in the book and explain it in a much more elegant way that I'm doing now, but. I explained it. Human care is not health care because what health care is, is just sick care. It's like, you know, let's give you this or that for this ailment. But we're never taking the time to help an individual discover their purpose. You know, as Mm. I would like to think that doctor did, you know, not only in the ER by physically helping me survive to fulfill my purpose, but actually coming up in my time of convalescence and just before departing the hospital to reinforce what my purpose was. Hey, I heard you wanna be a doctor. That's awesome. Yeah. Let me show you, what, let me show you what, what you had so you can understand it. And hey, let me give you a test too. And if you pass this test, you're gonna be a great doctor. I mean, that gave me a purpose. That gave me, like, wow, I got to go be a real doctor. And so it was easy for me to look at that rejection letter from Hopkins and say, ah, you know, no big deal. I'll just go back and, you know, reapply and I'll be a coming doctor. But he was very personal about what he did, too. I mean, He came up and gave me a story that was really relevant to me, and and I've recognized over the course of my career how important it is to personalize the care that I give to people. I've come across individuals that were octogenarians and nanogenarians, and, and, you know, they would not be good candidates for, you know, a haircut, but others would be great to have open-heart surgery, believe it or not. But I had to personalize that. I couldn't do cookie cutter medicine. And I and I never would do that because I know how important personalizing care is. And then, you know, throughout all of that, you know, we talked about my military experience. It was never lost on me that none of the things that we did, performing surgery in the middle of the desert, literally having a miracle occur every day, uh, saving lives in, in in the middle of nowhere with no electricity, with with without a lot of great equipment. Uh, but, you know, having these young men and women, you know, return back, you know, to the state so they could be with their family to, to recover from these really devastating injuries was shut, nothing short of a miracle, but that would never be possible without partnerships. And quite frankly, you can't really care for a human in a collective and a holistic way without having a partnership. It takes good nutrition. Yeah. It takes a good environment. It takes dispelling all those social determinants of health and, and addressing all those things. No individual doctor can do that. No individual nurse can do that. It takes a community. It takes business people. It takes, you know, it takes politicians. It takes everybody to kind of come together to create these environments of, 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 uh, of, uh, of, of, and space where people can thrive. And that is basically embodied in the partnership. So I, I, if you, if you were listening you you clearly got the three principles that embody what I believe is human care, and that is purpose, personalization, and partnerships. And that is the essence of the three pillars that that hold up and embody what the art of human care is all about. And the art is there because not only do uh, I believe that art is uh, not only do not not only do I believe that uh, do I believe that art is therapeutic. I think art is absolutely. A human expression in its most purest form before we were talking and before we were probably writing and and doing all the things that we take for granted now there was art you know you go back to these hieroglyphics and things that we see in caves and, and say to ourselves man they were communicating that's really what art is all about it's communication uh and it's through that expression and 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 that very, you know, beautiful form of expression that we relate to each other as humans. You know, it, you could see a, a piece of art and it could be, you know, done or, or, or created by someone who doesn't speak your language, but you could connect yeah. with it. And that, that's a really beautiful thing. And so that's why, you know, art is such an essential part of the human care aspect. And, and that's how it all comes together is the art of human care. I love that.
1: And sort of seeing that expression, that caring for a fellow human as a form of expression is how you you give the message, just like that doctor gave a message to you right. about what you were capable of and and the possibilities, you know, thanks to some of his efforts and, and those around him to make sure you were still around to be able to see those things through. Um it is is really powerful. Um it's gonna be hard. And I, I think Medicine's a clear space for this, but there's going to be other examples, professional examples, in in other industries where you have to be an expert. You know, otherwise, like, why would I go to you and and trust you with something as profound as a transplant, and yet to not have hubris, or you know, the sort of like in all my surgeries, I've had lots of different surgeons. Some have a brilliant, caring style. And some are just sort of like, I know what I'm doing. You just lay there and be the patient because I'm the expert. Right. Um, and, you know, they're, you look at both of them, excellent surgeons, fantastic records, but I'll tell you which one I'd choose any day mm-hmm. and which one I feel like, you know, I recovered better with and had a better experience with it. It's hard, I think, to be that expert and, and sought after and to ensure you protect the humanness of it. Mm-hmm. That has such an upside.
0: Yeah. It does. Uh, well, I you know, I, I don't give me too much credit, you know. I, I will say that, you know, if if in fact uh there is a component of hubris that I like to embrace in my practice and in my life, it it's, it, it it it's not so much intentional as it is, it's come from a lot of pain and suffering. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh I I like to say that wisdom is only gained through pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to think I have a lot of wisdom because there's been a lot of pain and suffering in my life. You know, loss of life, loss of family members, and you know, certainly my own experience. You know, the ones that I've shared here and the, those that I haven't really that, that have really shaped and um, colored my life in such a way that I I feel you know so fortunate that I'm in this 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 place where I can help. Uh, that there's really not a place for you know too much hubris and and um, and I think that you know, that again, reinforces and shapes this concept of human care, because at the end of the day, we are still all human, no matter, you know, how much you make or what your position or station is in life, as you may perceive it to be, you know, you were a child once you came into this world as a baby, you're going to leave as dust. And in between, what makes the difference between your life meaning something and and not meaning much is how you are perceived by those around you, but really what you did to impact the lives of others uh, and hopefully in a positive way. Uh, and I truly believe that that, you know, embodies the, the, really, the real essence of, of, of being a human. And, uh, and if you look at the people and the lives that we celebrate, you know, throughout history, they have been those individuals, you know. Uh, they've been those folks that have, you know, really made an impact on, on other humans and their fellow humans because they selflessly gave something of themselves to make the world a little bit better during the time that they were around. And if you okay. think about the time that we do have on, on, the, on the world and or sort of on the world stage and on the planet, it's not very much, you know, in the grand order of things. You don't have a lot of time here to really make that difference. And there's some of us that, that do that in a very brilliant way. And they, they maximize every opportunity in their life to, to make an impact and to make a difference and, and essentially live forever well beyond their physical form is gone. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, wisdom comes from suffering. And, you know, I've, I've had, I've had a lot of that, unfortunately, but perhaps fortunately, uh, it, it allows you to wear a crown of hubris to some extent.
1: <laughs> I think, you know, we're, we're, Getting close to wrapping up on time, but I think there's a, a point of universality to your message that's really important for people. And part of it, you know, the title isn't exclusionary because it, it doesn't say health or medical or whatever. It's, this is universal. This is for all of us to care for fellow humans and the situation that we're in as a world right now. Um, you know, I know it's been divisive for some and and some people, you know, are are not not seeing the chance for us to come together and support each other but this is a shared experience that the whole world is suffering through it's a time for us to be there for each other and I think um you know you you call out the situation with COVID-19 and, and I I see the connection there I'm wondering if you might speak on that for a moment
0: sure yeah I well yeah thank you for asking that question you know I I think that you can't call yourself a citizen of the world right now without having, say, uh, you know, have an opinion on COVID-19, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, but it has certainly impacted our lives in, in many ways, uh, some more than others, obviously. I will say, personally, for me, it has been uh, one that has uh, given a great amount of grief in, in my life. Personally, I've, I've lost uh, two aunts and, and an uncle uh, happened to hail from a small town in New York called Brooklyn. And as we all know, New York was one of those very early places that COVID-19 really, uh, you know, sort of delivered a wrath of of, of devastation and, and a lot of suffering and pain. And and unfortunately, a lot of people came, uh and close relatives of mine did. And so there was that grief to reconcile at a time when, you know, these folks were going into the hospital, like many others, and not only were they going into a hospital at a really difficult and challenging time uh, for the city writ large but at a time when their family members were not able to visit with them so a lot of these folks died in isolation and by themselves um you know fortunately with hopefully you know in some cases with a care provider with them trying to bridge that connection with their, their loved ones but that that was a really hard experience and then you know, you take that and couple it with the fact that, you know, you weren't able to immediately get any closure and still to this day can't really because we weren't able to have formal funerals. And, 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 and in my case, uh, our family members were, were having to have their remains placed in a refrigerated truck for a couple of weeks just because the morgues and the funeral homes were overwhelmed. And that's, yeah. that was really hard and, and still hard to deal with. Yeah. And then professionally, I, I was seeing cases that were just quite frankly, unbelievable, uh, young, old and everything in between. And so the fallacy that it was only impacting a certain segment uh, you know, was not necessarily what my experience was because I saw COVID and still do see COVID impacting people of all ages and all kinds yeah. of backgrounds and health conditions and doing it in such a way that it leaves us uh, you know, puzzled as to what is the nature of this uh, disease and, and how is it exactly going to pan out. The One thing I'm fond of saying that I know for sure about COVID-19, at least today in September of 2020, is this. uh, We don't know a lot about (laughs) COVID-19.
1: Thank you for saying that. You know, that is the truth.
0: We don't. And and if you think that we do, I mean, I would say, you know, ask those almost now 200,000 people in America that are no longer with us, that were with us in January. Just think about that, they're with us in January. And let me be personal about it. Those two aunts that I was talking about, one of them was visiting in my home here in February, sitting at the kitchen table. We were talking about how she was gonna come back to attend my daughter's graduation and be there for her confirmation. And a few weeks later she was gone. And that story, I'm sure, and some even worse, Yeah. Is going to be repeated over 200,000 times. At least. At least. Yeah. And we're just talking about in the United States. Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess I end by saying, and, um, you know, I know we're running out of time that, you know, COVID is a pandemic and, and, It's something that all humankind has experienced. If you look at the history and and I have become a student and a pupil and, you know, going back to my curious nature, I've always been fascinated by pandemics. I've been studying pandemics throughout my career. And every 80 to 100 years, we have these events that fundamentally impact us in such a way that, you know, it becomes a a real global event as this has. And politically, economically, socially, and technologically, uh, there is a uh, great change. And, you know, if you're thinking you're going to go back to the way the world was, perhaps for us in America here on, uh, on March 10th, uh, you know, you're sadly mistaken. The world is different. It has changed and it will be different moving forward. And what our job is uh, as humans, as, as 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 folks that care for other humans, is to use some of these principles. I'd like to think uh, are helpful and espouse purpose and personalization and partnerships to help us get to a better place, to elevate ourselves to a higher place, and and, and overcome these challenges and and uh, you know look at the way uh, we can emerge and evolve from this uh, devastating pandemic and 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 get to a better place. Uh, go out and do it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and it's it's almost not a surprise. It's not a surprise to me that at the same time the sense of humanity and support for each other has dwindled so much in this country, and the the hatred between groups and the social wrongs that are going on. A lot of things are coming to a head, and what I would hope is that maybe we and and I think probably through your studies of pandemic history, you would see the opposite, but maybe we could learn a lesson so that we don't repeat things, but I, I think that's got to be seen.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm hopeful. Yeah. Uh, as, as, a, as a human race, we have survived these pandemics. We have largely emerged, uh, believe it or not, um, in, a, in a better way, not immediately in a better way, but overall in a better way because we have learned lessons that, and those that do survive do emerge from these things. and. And, uh, you know, try to take the lessons learned from these tragedies and these very difficult and challenging times to, you know, take us to a better place. And I think mm-hmm. that's really the responsibility of all of us now, particularly those that have survived and those that have endured. Uh, because I think the, you know, the folks that have uh, have lost their lives, I think, would expect nothing more of us than to do that.
1: Yeah, that's brilliantly said. Um- where can people get your book? Where can they learn more about you and take in the full? Because we obviously just scratched the surface. As you said, you've been writing this thing your whole life, really.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Uh, well, drteta.com, it's all drteta.com, spelled out D O C T O R, and then my last name, T E T T E H.com, is a website there. Uh, the Art of Human Care is available uh, in select bookstores and uh, on Amazon and actually through the website as well, my website. And at Dr. Teta is my Twitter handle, and at Hassan Teta is my Facebook. Uh, So uh, various ways to connect with me. Instagram is also Dr. Teta, and YouTube is also Dr. Teta. So,
1: I will link to all of those in the show notes so that people can and should connect you there and pick up the book, obviously.
0: Yes, and I look forward to your uh, reading it, and we'll say that it's a very short read. It was intentionally done that way. It was very deliberate, and there's pictures, so (laughs) (laughs) it makes it a very easy read. That's that's where I went wrong. I don't have (laughs) pictures in my book,
1: so my son won't read it.
0: (laughs) Pictures, and intentionally done so because I know in our very busy world right now, it's very hard for us to sit down and and read a tome like a war and peace, but Mm something a little bit smaller with some pictures uh, will hold the attention. So you get to the end and, and receive the whole message. So.
1: That's uh, great. I always say books aren't long or short. They're the length that they're supposed to be.
0: Ah, uh, Exactly.
1: Unless they're poorly written unless that's a different story, <laughs> but if it's good stuff, um, no, that's brilliant. I, so it is, it is in my queue. i just have a backlog. So it's about two or three books back, but I will get to it and I will get to it before probably the end of October.
0: Awesome. Very
1: good. Um. You're amazing. I I can't thank you enough for making the time to do this. It's great to hear the story. And yeah, it is. It's the kind of inspiration I think we need right now, especially to remember like this is a great time of caring across humanity. Um, And there's an art to that. I love it. I love the title. I love the message. Thank you so much for bringing this in.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the time and thank you for the opportunity to share this with your great audience. I appreciate it.
1: Now, are you ready to help me close the show?
0: Sure. All right, today is a new day. Make the most of it. Go out and do it.
1: Really awesome guy. Right now you just feel like this uh, very existential level care from him. I can imagine having him be your, your surgeon when you're going through something as extreme as a transplant where, you know, it is life and death. Aside from how big of an operation that is, your life moment, that place that you're in is so extreme. So to have someone who has actually been in a similar place himself and who recognized that caring is such a critical piece of bringing him through and opening up his possibilities, or that purpose, partnership, personalization, um, I think that that would be exactly the kind of physician i would want by my side if i was in that kind of moment and i know this is the kind of message we can all take in to be that person standing by others in those moments themselves whether it's as extreme as life and death or something that feels that way or feels you know really threatening or difficult right at that time either way brilliant message I'm so thankful for Dr. Teta for coming on the show and sharing it, for sharing his book with all of us. Definitely something to pick up, and I do have it. It's not a long read, but it's really nice, and it's it just leaves you with this clarity and this message that we could all use, especially right now. This is such a divided moment for us with a life-or-death kind of threat, with the coronavirus, but more... Existentially for our democracy and the way that we in this country in the U.S., for those who are listening here, um, it's American against American and that's not what this is meant to be at all. We are all one and we need to come together and there's a broader message for the world community like that. We're all humans. We're all in the same place. So what can we do to stand by and support each other? Because we've all been through suffering. So... You know, it's our choice to learn that lesson, the lesson that Dr. Tedda talks about. All right, I'm going to leave it there. Please do check out Dr. Teta on his website, social media. Grab the book, The Art of Human Care. Of course, you can find links to all of those things in the show notes. And I will well, I won't see you all next week, but you'll hear me next week with my guest who is Justin Shank, who's a pretty amazing, motivating person. So we're going to get into that episode next time. All right, everyone, today is a new day. Go out and do it. Thanks.